0: welcome to women wanting women where we explore topics that matter to women like us we talk about being a woman attracting women and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization i'm your hostess lesbian love coach jordana michelle And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you could fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Do you have something you're truly passionate about? Do you have something outside of your day job that matters so much to you that you invest your free time into learning about it and pursuing it? I do. Outside of the work I do for Women Wanting Women and my law practice, I dedicate a lot of time to learning about environmental sustainability. There's almost nothing in the world that matters more to me than stopping the unsustainable practices that are causing us widespread habitat loss, choking off our natural resources, causing species to go extinct, and literally threatening our own existence. I could go on for days about our trash, about all the plastic and single use disposable items, about the fertilizer runoff and the food waste and the energy waste and the outrageous, unforgivable damage that we're causing and all the denial and the lies that are blinding and blocking most people from understanding the full truth and making more conscious choices. But if there's one thing I've learned from being a love coach, is that we humans act in our own self-interest The number one rule of behavior change is that people do things for their reasons. They don't do things for our reasons. That's why, as far as I see it, the best chance we have at saving all the plants and animals and fungi and microscopic creatures that make up life on Earth is by making it easy and convenient for everyone to pitch in. I'm that extreme person who shows up wherever I go with my own reusable water bottle and reusable bag and a reusable mason jar stuffed with a meal I made myself in order to avoid takeout that comes with throwaway plastic containers. But I know it's unrealistic to expect other people to behave the way that I do. The truth is that most people are busy and stressed and caught up in their own lives and their own problems and thinking about their own social justice issues, which are probably equally as valid as the environmental issues that I'm focused on. So the only way to get everyone on board with cleaner, greener habits is if we make the clean, green alternative just as easy as the dirty, destructive one. That's why my favorite thing is when businesses create sustainable products that are just as good, just as easy, and just as cheap as whatever polluting thing everyone else is currently used to relying on. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I interview my badass lesbian friend Tania Pina, who is the founder of an awesome company that created one of these sustainable products. As you'll hear in the interview, Tania's company, Renewable, turns food scraps into fertilizer for hydroponics farms. So she's helping people grow food using regenerative resources instead of letting those resources go to waste, and instead of producing that same fertilizer by mining for minerals in dangerous, destructive ways in faraway places. Tania is an interesting, innovative, deep, and soulful person with a super inspiring story. And we can all be proud that this badass boss is a member of the queer female community. So I hope you enjoy my interview with the lovely Tania Pina. Tania, thank you so much for making the time to come on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me, Jordana. All right, we're doing a take two, actually, of the podcast right now, because our first round, we had so much to talk about that we realized that our conversation may not be even fun for other people to listen to. <laughs> so we're doing it again <laughs> this time um, so that it doesn't sound too much like an insider conversation. I think, I think that's for everyone's benefit, right? <laughs> I think you're going to enjoy this version of it way more. At least that's the goal. <laughs> But I love that you're here with me, and I'm so happy to share my badass friend with my community. Uh, You're amazing, and you really inspire me, so I'm excited to get into it. So I really want women to understand how it is that you came to start the business that you started and the ways that the business that you started is impacting the world, because both of those sides are so important. So let's tell the whole... I want to hear the story.
1: Yeah, so I went to school Virginia Tech. I got a bachelor's in business information technology, graduated 2006, and literally the day after I graduated, I moved up to New York. Uh, So I don't have any family up here, but at the time, my girlfriend was also up here. And I worked in finance for roughly seven years, um, first with Ernst & Young, Then with Fidelity Investments. And then I ended it right before I started uh, renewable with a small asset management firm that was a part of New York Life Investments. So my vision was never really to be in finance. I always had this clear vision of like being this businesswoman with like her computer and laptop. Like that was clear to me even in middle school. But it never really quite, you know, made itself distinct as to what exactly how that would
0: play out. Like what you'd be doing. Yeah, what I'd be doing. With your computer. What you'd be doing as a businesswoman with her laptop. Exactly. Exactly. So how did you like working in finance? Um,
1: It's a culture that I don't align with well. So I say that because I'm a huge people person. I'm also incredibly empathic. And when things are so transactional and just about the money and it's like, that's all people care about. Um, It kind of drains me. And so I would try to find these ways to kind of keep myself engaged and motivated. And so one time there was this incident that happened with my direct manager where I think she felt threatened. You know, you have a a young employee, she's incredibly driven, talks to everyone, um, not really, you know, uh, pretty fearless, I would say. Um, And so I think, you know, she took it upon herself to make sure she put me in my place, and it really threw me uh, for a loop and put me underneath the bus. And I felt like it was completely unwarranted.
0: So you show up and you're fearless. You talk to everyone, and you have a manager that's feeling threatened by you. And you say she wants to put you in your place. Tell 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 that story too. Though. Exactly what happened? Sure. Yeah. So we,
1: you know, I, I was the only person that supported her and everyone in the department knew that she had a, a pretty high attrition rate, but I, I can get along with everyone. I feel like I have a pretty congenial personality and there were some th- mistakes that is definitely okay for the, the position that I was in. Cause it, I'd only been supporting her for at least a year. I'd been with the company for at least two and a half at that point. And instead of directly telling me and bringing to my attention what those mistakes were
0: like a normal mistake that weren't even a big deal that anyone would have happened in that position and anytime you're directly managing someone there's going to be little mistakes that happen of course
1: exactly it's like she kind of maintained a log right of of mistakes and then brought that up to our department head and then we had a meeting and i wasn't aware of any of this until that meeting happened So the reflection on my part is as if I'm making careless mistakes, there's a slew of careless mistakes, and, you know, maybe this isn't the right position for Tania. And it's like, had I known as I was making those mistakes, of course I would have rectified, I would have course corrected.
0: Right, but she didn't give you that opportunity. She wasn't looking to make you a better employee to support her better, she was looking to get you. Totally. At least that's how I felt, right? It seems that way if she wasn't even making you aware of how you could be better. Right. And so, you know, I, um,
1: after that meeting, uh, you know, obviously a little tense, I took a walk and in central park and kind of needed to reset a little bit. And I came back to my desk and, um, I sat down, opened up the next window tab on the browser, Google And literally in my left ear, I heard the word sustainability. Came out of nowhere, soft voice. You put the picture behind it yourself.
0: And you just like heard this whisper. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so funny. There's a quote that I love um, from one of my favorite love coaches, Annie Lala. She says that intuition is your future self leaning back and whispering in your ear telling you what to do.
1: Oh, and, and it's so true. I've had so many other experiences where it has happened as if it was my future self, kind of like I told you so. That's exactly what would have happened.
0: So you leaned back from the future and whispered in little Tania's ear, sustainability. Just as one word, nothing more. And then what'd you do with that word?
1: So then I Googled sustainability conferences, exactly that search phrase in Google. And there was a conference that was hosted by a trade association called BioCycle. And it was located in Des Moines, Iowa. So I took two weeks of personal vacation to, no, I'm sorry, not two weeks, one week to go check it out, not knowing anyone else going there, not knowing a lick about food waste because the the event was around how we can use technology to process food waste and turn it into two types of things, primarily energy and the other byproduct would be fertilizer. So I had no technical training, no familiarity. There was just something calling me and I kind of was just driven by this, whatever you want to call it.
0: And also it's just an awesome idea. Like who doesn't want to hear that? Like, you can take wasted food and turn it into energy and fertilizer. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) For sure. And you know, I think, you know, at the time we had talked about this before, like I I was doing community gardening through New York Cares. I was involved in other community projects. So, it wasn't just me just taking this random trip out to, to learn about something that I was completely curious about. There were other reasons to support why I should go out there.
0: And it wasn't like sustainability just came out of nowhere either. You, as you said, you were working at the time, you just mentioned volunteering in community gardening. Exactly. So, you were, so food was already on the mind and growing and, fer- and fertility fertilizer that was sort of already on the mind. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Cool. So what happened next? What next?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I went, I went there, um, learned as much as I could, soaked it up as a sponge and was asking a lot of questions about how this works, you know, using the technologies that I had seen at that conference in a city such as New York. And it was all with the mindset of, I knew even going to before going to this conference, that food waste was a problem. New York City at that time was spending two, I'm sorry, 77 million dollars, and this was in 2012 to export food waste to Virginia, China, and Pennsylvania. Combined with the fact that more people are going to be living in urban areas or cities, there's a need for two things. One is how do you help cities kind of effectively reduce this waste volume instead of going it to landfills? How can you divert it? And then two is how can we make our food production systems more resilient, more sustainable? Because there's more mouths that are going to be in need of feeding, and most of those mouths are going to be centralized in urban areas. So what we had had in these antiquated distribution supply chains, right, throughout the U.S., we really needed to think differently about it because the population densities were very, they were changing, and they still are
0: totally more and more people more and more waste from the people but then also more and more people more and more food needed and if we're wasting fertility by not taking advantage of the waste that already exists um Mm. there's so much opportunity but at this time you were still working in finance How, how did you go from working for this company to being where you are now
1: yeah. So, you know, I worked with that company for a little over three years. And during that time, I was pursuing a master's of sustainability at Columbia. I just started taking more classes to kind of get into that program.
0: Was that before um, or after you heard the word spoken in your ear? Oh, this is definitely after. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's not like you just went to one conference. It sounds like you were really interested because you're volunteering at a community garden. You're going to get your master's of sustainability. When did that, like, how did you think to do that? I mean, what, can we dig a little bit into your interest and your curiosity and where it led you and the sort of things that you did? Because so many people, you know, you hear the term like, oh, pursue your passion or follow your dreams or whatever. And then some people don't have that. Um, or even if they were to have little sparks of interest, wouldn't know what to do with it. And it sounds like that word whispered in your ear, you did so much with it.
1: Yeah. So when I came back from that conference, it gave me enough information to realize that, okay, there is there is a, a need for handling and the management and how to kind of reclaim food waste. There's going to be a learning curve around how to effectively do that, but I'm, I'm definitely interested enough to pursue it just to do the massive amount of research to get myself familiar with it, right? And then secondly is there's going to be a need on the food production side. So I didn't know exactly how to join those two challenges, right, that I saw as a, a business need as well as a, a societal need. But what what kind of catalyzed me, me thinking about the program at Columbia, which I didn't fully matriculate, I did uh, about a year's worth of classes, and then I left to start the business. But what it did do is it allowed me to continue to ask the questions around smart people and potentially think of who I could work alongside this idea with to help really refine what I saw as a, a market opportunity. I hate to make it so business oriented, but there, there was a need and that spoke to me. And it the curiosity really aligned with what I truly feel is like my personal purpose for being here, which is around really kind of the environment and healing the earth. And this allowed me to do that in a, in a business way.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with thinking commercially about things because we can't help unless there's, The money to help and so if you're solving a need and getting paid to solve a need that's awesome true that's a positive thing you know okay so you're starting at Columbia or you're putting yourself around these smart people who have the you, you know what the questions are but you don't know what the answers are but you're starting more and more to find the people who can answer the questions what are the things that came together that helped you to really turn these ideas and these curiosities into a source of actual potential income
1: yeah, so we, you know, we've on paper it's been a little around seven years, and through that time, we definitely found and met with a number of people that whether they had a PhD in chemistry or came from a PhD of agronomy. Not all of, not everyone had a PhD. Some people just were simply passionate about the idea around sustainability. Just talking about it to anyone and everyone allowed me to really think about where was there the most sustainable need, right? So yes, you can take food waste, you can compost it. There's plenty of projects and, and businesses that do that, but there wasn't anyone that was taking food waste and turning it into a viable fertilizer for indoor or vertical farms. And that over time, through having these conversations and realizing with farms, right? Like, where are they struggling with the most? What products are not really meeting their needs? And that allowed us to kind of evolve into what we do today.
0: So part of the thing that was happening was you were speaking to food growers and finding out what what needs weren't being met on their part. So why were the fertilizers that food growers had, in what ways were they not enough that gave you the idea that maybe you could be of service to them in that way?
1: Yeah, so, you know, especially right now, in the last two, I would say three years, there's a stronger push for plant source or plant-based
0: uh, inputs. Well, what, is, what are fertilizers currently made of if they would need something else? Why would they? It's
1: a, good, it's a good point. So if it's organics, it's largely from, and when I say organic, you know, coming from organic sources. So you're thinking of animal manure, you're thinking of animal byproducts. Um, it could be other types of, uh, you know, fish emulsion, for example.
0: What is fish emulsion?
1: It's like parts of fish that have been pressed into a liquid form.
0: What parts? Like the parts that we don't eat, like their eyeballs or what are we doing here?
1: Yeah. All fish parts that aren't sellable into a, you know, a food good for people.
0: So anything that's not in the fish stick gets put into emulsion. That's right. Oh man.
1: Which is a really great source of like, some nutrients that plants need, but not, it doesn't work for a hydroponic farm. And when I say hydroponic, we're thinking of farms that grow in soilless systems. So we, we wanted to fit that gap is how can you allow for organic fertilizers to be compatible with those systems?
0: So the food, so the fertilizers that currently exist from organic sources that you were speaking to when it came to people growing food and dirt, there wasn't much of a lack. But when you were conversing with business owners that were creating hydroponic, were were growing food within water-based systems, you found that the fertilizers were lacking in some way. And what were you finding?
1: You're exactly right. So the the other part to that, before I speak towards the lack, is there's a growing concern and a growing demand for non-manure-based fertilizers because of the scares around E. coli and salmonella especially last year. So you had romaine lettuce that had recalled, you had other spinach that were recalled around those two types of viruses. There's been a demand for farms that grow in soil as well as other systems to source it from non-manure fertilizers. And so that was another driver for what we do. Now in a soilless system, the organics typically of those on the market now and before they weren't giving the nutrients to the plant in a consistent way. So what that meant was a farm would, would grow with organic fertilizer, but their head of lettuce wasn't nearly the same size or same weight as a head of lettuce grown with the conventional fertilizers, which are mineral salts. And the reason why mineral salts are even of a, of a topic or discussion is because they're carbon intensive, or it takes a lot of energy to mine and extract and transport it because they're coming from far places such as Brazil and China.
0: So because of these E. coli scares and because of all of these things that are freaking people out with lettuce or whatever, romaine, the big romaine scare, food companies all of a sudden having to throw away all this romaine lettuce, they said to themselves, we need to find a way other than animal manure to bring nutrients to our, to the food that we grow, which by the way, I hate because what better way if we're going to have all these animals than to use their poop? And if we don't use their poop, what are we going to use the poop for? I guess at that point, we're going to have to put it in biogas reactors. And True. it's such a, it's such a mess that this has even happened. There's so many, but the scare was caused by other reasons, not because we're using fertilizer and manure in smart ways. So I don't like this, <laughs> but, um, but that's besides the point. That's just me going back. So because of the scare around e coli now these food processors or now these food growers want to find fertilizer that is not made from poop
1: yes and that doesn't mean it's the majority of the the market but there there are some farms and people that sell to farms that are looking for that
0: and how did you even know about the hydroponic growers how did that come to your attention as a potential for you how did this all intersect for you
1: yeah um I don't get that question often. And I have to think back about that. So I knew that people were growing in soilless systems ever since I saw. So there's a great book by Dixon Despamier around the vertical farm. And he didn't, he wasn't the first person to kind of bring that concept to me, but people growing indoors, given that it uses 90% less water than growing in soil. But I've always kind of had this vision around just being able to produce food in controlled environments. And it didn't really kind of make sense to me until I realized that when we had used, so we were kind of testing this from a garage, right? Basically testing a mix of food waste with animal byproducts in it. And then also testing fertilizer that had, let's say cow manure or bat guano and so forth versus fertilizer that's sourced from just plant-based input. So let's say vegetative waste. Realizing that in a soilless system, the, the challenges of using those fertilizers that had animal inputs in it, that then triggered to me that if I'm having the same issue, much larger farms aren't using organics because of that challenge. There's just too many risks associated with that. Because to give you a very clear picture, it was creating mold blooms, which is a huge food safety risk. And so not only is the food safety risk, but it also prevents a whole crop cycle from being able to, to be sold because it was it was basically hard to even get the crop to grow without any risk of disease or viruses from that source. So
0: So when you're so first of all, you even got to the point that you're playing with poop in a garage and trying to grow stuff with it, which I think is a whole other thing you skipped over, which is cool. It's experimentation that you're doing. We didn't even get into that. It's like you're such a creative A forward-thinking person that, you know, that's like almost an afterthought. So I'm like experimenting with different types of fertilizer in a garage, you know, which is so badass. But what you're finding is that when you're using organic-based fertilizers in a water-only system, it gets infected by mold blooms, which ruins the whole crop. And if that's happening in your small garage, then on anyone who's trying to do it on an industrial scale is never going to be able to use organic-based fertilizers.
1: Yeah, and and there are other organic-based fertilizers, but going to your first point, where is that gap? The gap is those organic-based fertilizers aren't holding up to the same quality and consistency of how they're delivering nutrients to the plant as their synthetic or conventional uh, alternatives are.
0: Oh, so if you use the fake stuff, you get a better head of lettuce. If they, if they use the, the, the synthetic yeah, if they use the synthetic fertilizers, the head of lettuce grows more consistently, and the only organic stuff available, not from poop, but from plant-based, the stuff that was available at the time wasn't as good. Yeah, and it's still, still not as good. I was talking about a head of lettuce being much smaller
1: in size when grown with organic fertilizers in a soilless system or a hydroponic system, that's still the case with those grown from synthetic or mineral salts. Those are the same thing. And that the reason why, without getting way too technical, is when you're using synthetic salts or mineral salts, the nutrients are immediately released to the plant. So the plant takes it up, all of what it can, and that allows it to grow more quickly at a much larger size. Whereas with organics, typically organics takes longer to release those nutrients to the plant.
0: Because it's breaking down in some way?
1: That's right. That's right. And in soil, right? In soil, you have the microbes, the the bacteria in the soil to help with that process. In a soilless system, you don't have those same aspects.
0: Hmm. I see. But And then people might say, well, why not just grow in soil? And the answer is because when you grow vertically and you grow indoors, you can get more food in less space and use 90% less water. Exactly. So despite the complications where growing in soil might be a lot easier in some ways, in other ways there's a lot of benefits from trying to grow vertically without the soil.
1: Yeah, and and also you're able to grow more per square foot, and the other advantage of growing indoors is when you think about the weather challenges because of climate change, and you think about- Bugs. Bugs, right, so you're not having to use pesticide those controlled environments, you're able to produce more with less challenges, but admittedly not everything, right? You can't you can't grow potatoes, you can't grow corn, um, but there is increasing interest to diversify what is grown indoors than just tomatoes and lettuce, for example.
0: But tomatoes and lettuce can be grown indoors.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And so you saw an opportunity that there was a need for better fertilizers that are plant-based and you were experimenting with different mixtures in your, in this garage, how did then you move forward to see how you could really be the person to solve this problem? So it was a combination of me
1: kind of being around the right people at the right time. So the team at the time has two or are now board of directors, where one has a PhD of chemistry, another one in agronomy, and we realized that taking food waste, there's some things that we can mimic from a formulation perspective as and reach the same goal as synthetic alternatives, right? The challenge always was, how do you do it in a very cost-effective way and make sure that the way that it delivers nutrients to the plant in any system is going to work consistently and reliably to a farmer, right? And so when we first went to market, we, we provided a liquid fertilizer for hydroponic or soilless systems. We were good for roughly about a year, and that was limited based on the system type, But it wasn't going to allow for us to truly go to market with because we had some challenges with larger farms being able to use that for a number of reasons. It was really expensive to produce. And the second thing was the ability of the nutrients to be as concentrated in a much larger soilless system. We were having a lot of challenges there. So that then forced us to rethink or what they now call pivot, right? to uh, change the product into a dry or granulated or pelletized format, meaning the food waste or, um, and when I say food waste, we're working with produce waste that can't go to farms or food banks from food processors and food distributors, right? Because any cuttings or any produce waste that from a food safety perspective, it may have fallen on the floor, they can't sell that, right? So we'll take that and we, within 24 hours, turn into a pellet or a granule And then our technology is how this pellet works with a device that we created and turns it into a nutrient-rich water that then is fed through a soilless growing system.
0: So what kind of food processing plants? Are we talking about like they're they're making little baggies of broccoli heads and like the little bottoms or anything that falls on the floor? What are they processing in these plants?
1: Yeah, so um, take for example in South Bronx in the Hunts Point Terminal, you know, they're, and this is food distributors, so they're taking produce directly from their farm suppliers and they keep it boxed and then they resell it downstream to like supermarkets, school cafeterias, et cetera, right? Food processors where you have, let's say, a orange juice, all those orange peels, right? Or a beets company where they're creating beets mixes or beets-based salads. There's cuttings, there's beets skins, for example, that's, you know, it's, it's really the residual of the main produce that's being sold that we take the scraps of it, and then we turn it into an end product.
0: Oh, that's so badass. So you're taking all these food scraps and all the residuals that couldn't have been, it's not like they were, you're keeping it away from people eating them because they're not edible, really. And then you have a mechanism that can turn these into nutrient-dense pellets that can be fed into these water systems that can then grow food indoors in with 90% less water to get more food in less space. Exactly. Okay, so then what from here? So now you have these pellets, and what's the process? What do you what do you work on in your business? Are you improving the way that you make the pellets? Are you finding more places to get more food scraps? Are you working, are you finding more vertical farms that need to use it? Like what is your what are the things that you're working on now?
1: Yeah. So where we're at today, you know, I I talked about earlier how we started with a completely different product, right? And that liquid and that, that challenge of releasing a product and realizing, yes, there was a market fit. There was someone that was willing to pay for it because it actually addressed a challenge. It wasn't a nice to have, right? But it wasn't appropriate for every farm. And it certainly was not economical for every farm forced us to rethink how we were producing something from food waste. So now we basically pelletize, okay, we, we dry and pelletize the produce waste. And what the innovation that we've created is the pellets work with the device that we've created, so that they rapidly dissolve, almost as if you had, you know, the, the salts in water. Are, um,
0: so it's not any slower than the synthetic, whereas the other organic stuff it was slower. You found a way where, first of all, it is economic for all farms. Instead of being a nice to have, it's exactly as much as the need to have as all the others, because the synthetics can help, as you said, a head of lettuce grow bigger, faster. You're finding a way to make the plant-based stuff do the exact same thing by creating these pellets?
1: Exactly right. And the reason why that's important to a farm is One is, you know, it's a dry product. They can store it at their own means and it's cheap to ship. No one wants to pay for water being shipped. And the third thing is if we're coming in offering what the industry standard or substitute, which are the mineral salts or the synthetic, we'll call it, it's, I don't want to say game changer, but it allows so many more farms to convert to our product. Because if we're coming in providing a product that can match the price, and ideally we'll price it a little bit more because the fact that it is organic, um, but match the price and be comparable in how it performs, then then it's a no question, why wouldn't you want to change it? Because there's so many farms now that want to do the right thing. They want to grow in closed loop, sustainable operations. They want to use, you know, ideally regenerative inputs or fertilizers.
0: And they're regenerative when they're food scraps because that was stuff that's already been grown it's already in the system it was just going to be wasted anyway and you're taking you're taking that now if you're not taking it from food scraps it's being mined right the same synthetic stuff you got we have to go into you where are they getting the synthetic stuff from
1: you're exactly right so they're getting it from long distribution channels with very large fertilizer manufacturing companies that source it from mines such in Brazil China very distant, large, industrialized mines.
0: Where it's depleting the earth, probably horrible working conditions for the humans that are there, right? I mean, bad stuff all around. And so if we just eliminate, and imagine the amount of energy that it takes to do that, if you're just staying within the system of what's already been grown and cutting out all the need for all of that wasted energy, Harm to humans, harm to distant lands, and just keeping it all within the system that already exists, that is just incredible. And you're doing it in a way where it's just as functional as the other stuff and just as cost effective as the other stuff.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we just want
0: to make it as effortless as possible
1: to get it into more farms' hands. The only thing that, you know, is different for these farms is it's a new way of growing. So instead of a farmer taking the mineral salts, right, our competitor, putting it into their uh, system and allowing it to dissolve, turning it into nutrients immediately. And then sometimes there's even residual or remaining salts that weren't completely used by the plants, but they have to flush that out. All that water has to be flushed out, right? Instead, we're providing our system where the nutrients stay in the system. And the, continue to give nutrients over time to multiple crop cycles. So more than one head of lettuce in more than one crop cycle can grow. And therefore, it creates a true biological system, as you would see in Mother Nature, where it's self-sustaining.
0: Wow. So you're literally infusing their water with life, kind of. I mean, I like that concept, but yeah,
1: I guess you could think of it that way.
0: Because otherwise you're describing this like dead salt situation where, yeah, it kind of pumps the plants with nutrients, but then the water is sort of dead and they've got to flush it out and then it's wasting the water. I th- hey, it's like, I thought you were supposed to use 90% less water, but if you're flushing out all the water, then you didn't do us any favors now, did you? You're just sort of, it's not really saving any water. You're totally right. No one talks about that, but you're you are 100% right. Well, I should talk about it. <laughs> But your—it sounds like your product is actually bringing life to the water and giving and turning it into water, like the gift that keeps on giving. It sounds like
1: exactly, exactly.
0: That's incredible. And I think that when I met you, you were still on the liquid stuff. And so this is a relatively. When did you do this?
1: Last, I want to say September.
0: Yeah, we didn't even talk about this yet.
1: That's uh, so cool. Life got ahead of us.
0: Yeah. I didn't even know that there was this new development. So you kind of cracked the code on a massive industry challenge.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been pretty underneath the radar because we're, we're still doing our own testing. But if all goes well, I, I
0: would say, yeah. So you could be creating a whole new industry standard in a growing and really important industry.
1: Granted, yes. But granted, you know, it works for some crop types. For some crops where they need a much higher amount of, let's say, nitrogen, right, which is one nutrient type, it would it, they couldn't use our nutrients because there's only so much that we can provide of that from the produce waste.
0: So what does it work for?
1: So great point. Uh, tomatoes, you have berries, leafy greens, herbs, hemp, cannabis, you name it. There's uh, uh, those in terms of like what we're paying attention to would be what it works for.
0: And then what doesn't it work for?
1: corn. Um, I would also say wheat, any of the grain grains, uh, where it's a very high amount of nitrogen.
0: Which you told me you weren't, they weren't really growing indoors anyway. It's not like they were successfully growing it with the other stuff. Exactly. Okay. So you actually are at industry standards for anything being grown indoors. You're just saying that you haven't cracked the code on all foods, but you certainly have cracked the code on anything that's already being grown indoors. You found a way to do it keeping all the food waste within the food system. Yeah, that's correct. And has anyone else other than renewable figures figured this out?
1: Not that we're aware of. Our approach to it has been very different and we haven't really been paying attention to like who else is doing it, but at the same time, not that we're aware of.
0: Holy cow, Tania, I'm so proud of you. I didn't even know that you had done this. (laughs) I I mean, I appreciate it. (laughs) Wow, I'm really impressed. This is just so incredible can we talk about life as a business owner and sure. and and what the personal challenges of that are for you and because you've gone so far and just since I've met you
1: let's yeah bring it back
0: to you and and what that's like for you
1: yeah I mean I I think admittedly reflecting back on that because I used to be engaged to a person I was with for seven years and looking back at that um The stress that I dealt with back then, which was a little bit different because I worked full time for a crazy person while also doing renewable.
0: This is when you were in finance still?
1: No, that was post-finance. So we, we had moved. I had met my ex at that time. We had moved down to Virginia to lessen the cost of living, be closer to family. As you were starting renewable? That's right. And then we came back to New York in 2015. And that's when we first raised our outside capital. And the stress that I had while in Virginia, because I was just in a very different environment of who I was working for. And I think also the stress management, I'm much more experienced that now, but I would definitely have treated things differently with the person I was with uh, looking at back in hindsight. And I think that definitely took a toll in our relationship. And that, I think that's common for most entrepreneurs. But me thinking about it in hindsight now is like, I probably have similar, if not more stress. And I think just the way I could've talked to that person and just kind of removed myself from situations so that things wouldn't have escalated, as an entrepreneur, it, it, it I could've controlled things better. And maybe I would've been in that, that relationship still. Is she the one that got away? Uh, she, you know, I, I tried to make it work out. Um, And I think that's for everyone. I really try to make it work out despite when it happened. But yeah, I would say she was the one that got away. She was a good person. But I also think Jordana, she was so her being Persian. I do think that she was kind of uh, she succumbed to the family pressure of like, what does she have at her age? You know, when is she going to start a family? Like all of those really started to be a lot of uh, kind of be weight on her shoulders and I was preparing, I don't know if I ever told you, but like I was preparing to get pregnant while starting this company. And I'm so glad it didn't happen because I realized right before we split that, that had her having a kid, which wouldn't have been good for anyone, um, it was out of selfish reasons. She just wanted to have the kid and, and achieve that for her life. And it didn't necessarily need to happen with me.
0: So you were in a relationship with someone that was, you were sort of filling a role for her. Yeah. As opposed to having you were that you were really her soulmate. I never looked at it that way, but maybe. Yeah. And it's also interesting because when you were talking about the weight on her shoulders, and I think a lot of women experience it if they want to have a kid by a certain time, but you want to have a company and you want to have career success and you probably could have given her the family a lot easier if you went back to your finance job and just made steady money but instead you were taking a chance on really making the world a better place and solving real problems and creating a real business for yourself.
1: Yeah. Um, And that kind of speaks to like, you know, my calling. Unfortunately, I always place this calling ahead of everything else. Uh, And I also think that put a detriment on the relationship. But even despite the struggles I've went through in starting the, the company and kind of just going about it with all the risks, it's always kept me incredibly happy. So it's like, I, I just stayed committed to it.
0: Mm. Yeah, having a higher purpose is- Totally. Exciting. Or what is the calling? So what is this calling that you speak of? Like what is it, how, did, how do you define it? What do you see it as?
1: Yeah, the calling is, you know, I, I, I think I have like healing tendencies. And for me, I try to translate that into the environment. So how can I, whether it's incentivizing others or doing it through renewable, what's the greatest impact to the environment that I can create?
0: Well, do you think there'll ever be a time where you achieve what you want to achieve and then maybe the calling will already sort of it won't be ahead of everything else because maybe you'll have gotten to it is there is there ever is there ever going to be a point where you think yes certainly like
1: once there's a point of of um I've kind of reached what I needed to achieve with renewable I'm certainly going to fall back and, and even I would say as soon as this year, like it's not going to be ahead of everything, but because you're talking to someone that like is still at a growing stage and early, um, it's always kind of had that level of priority. But yeah, I would say very soon it's going to be balanced with everything else in my life. And I'm putting many more things ahead of renewable. And even after renewable, I honestly, Jordana, just want to uh, get some land and farm. That's That's my end goal.
0: Yeah, because you really seem like you've, you've created great impact with the solution that you found to a legitimate problem, but there'll probably be a million more callings ahead of that as well. And it's so cool that you're doing all this and creating a company that's based on so much purpose. And it's probably, you know, you're a really spiritual person as well. That's another reason why we're such good friends. How do you think that your spirituality and your, your empathic nature plays into all of this?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think it's allowed me to remain committed to it. I think it also allows me to dodge, pretty instinctively, you know, characters that we shouldn't align ourselves with, or do business with, or even come onto the team, because I feel like I have a good—I don't know if I can have that in my relationship life.
0: (laughs) But you have good judgment. No, I mean it sounds like you do because you seriously went from you you were—you know—you somehow you had this calling, but it's not like. I don't know that you necessarily had the science and technical background to figure out how to take some old beat scraps and change the world with them. You know that required really knowing who to align yourself with and what questions to ask them and how to is what really was your role in all that. You were were you just the one with the passion and the driving force, and then just putting the pieces together and finding the right minds? Yeah, I would say that it's kind of like the the orchestrator,
1: right? Like you have this vision, you know what pieces need to come into it to to make it happen. And you just kind of go about finding the resources and the people that actually have the right expertise. And I've been super fortunate to, to be, you know, to either have encountered them or to work with them or just be supported by them.
0: I'm so inspired by that because there are so many problems I look at in the world. And what stops me a lot of times in terms of anything technical, in terms of anything sustainable, is the idea inside, well, I don't know what that answer is, or I don't have that capital, or I don't have that scientific answer. And what I love about what you did was that that didn't stop you one iota. You just went and found other people who had it and then orchestrated it all together. Yeah, true that. And when you talk about listening to the whisper in your ear that said to Google sustainability, I mean, the amount of days, I can't even count the amount of days I sat in front of my computer because when I was, I've, I had my own law firm since 2006 and before creating this lesbian project, I also had a question of like, what what can I do that's more impactful on the earth? Because I also care about healing the environment and it's a big deal to me. And so I used to Google sustainability every day and just read, I just wanted to be up on the issues and that's why we even met in the first place is because I I'm so interested in this area and I, we didn't meet because we're both lesbians. We met because because of your work in with vertical farms and indoor growing and my obsession with aquaponics and all of that. That's why we know each other. But the difference is I just sit reading about stuff and you actually went out and solved a huge problem in the world around it just by bringing these amazing people together.
1: Yeah, but you also you also play a larger part too. Like you connect people, right? Like people that didn't if, for example, weren't if I hadn't known about permaculture, for example, like there's you,
0: you play a larger part than you give yourself credit to. Oh, thank you. Did I teach you about permaculture?
1: I think you sent me information about a course on permaculture.
0: But you didn't know already what permaculture was?
1: I mean, I did, but that particular individual I wasn't familiar with.
0: Okay, well still. <laughs> um, <laughs> well still you're super you really inspire me and it's incredible. What advice do you have for for anyone listening that wants to be it's like to find passion and to be and do more?
1: I think they have to really take the time to slow down and pay attention to what makes them excited, right? So it could be the creative, it could be writing, whatever it is. And when you kind of figure out what excites you and don't allow a completely foreign topic or idea scare you, right? The more uncomfortable it is, The better, but go about it in a way that's realistic and trying to figure out how you can turn that either into a full time business of your own or maybe a hobby, but at least pursue it because action is the only way you're going to bring about change. And, you know, I think for those that are more entrepreneurial minded, as long as that thing that makes them childishly, you know, curious about it. As long as it matches up with a, a need that hasn't been met yet, don't provide something that everyone else provides because it's going to make it that much more challenging in starting your own business. And I don't want to say that to everyone, but just it, 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 if, if they can provide something that is different, whether it's your perspective or the product or service itself, that will make the the path a little bit easier. And that's just my personal experience.
0: Yeah, and also just even even before the business starts what inspires me so much about you is you're volunteering at the community garden just cuz it inspires you and and you're volunteering for with test prep kids cuz it inspires you. So not being afraid of of not being afraid of doing whatever it is that inspires you and then understanding that there'll be more inspiration that comes from that because action leads to more inspiration. It's not like inspiration necessarily has to lead to action. Action can lead to inspiration. Totally. Is is what is definitely what I've learned from you or is definitely what your story illustrates so beautifully. Thank you. Is there anything else you should cover or talk about? Um, I would, I would say, you know, there's, this
1: is an amazing time for women to get involved with food, to get involved with nutrition and to get involved with food production. Um, there's so many programs. And I think we all are awakening to this idea of creating a more conscious food system. I, I think we do a better job than our predecessors in acknowledging that we have to change in order for, you know, future generations to be able to thrive and live off of what we currently have. And if not, we really do jeopardize the existence of future generations. And so I encourage anyone to reach out to us or me. I'm on LinkedIn. Our website is www.renewable, which is spelled R E dash and as in nancyuble.com, And I'm more than happy to either connect to or, or try to see where I can help out.
0: And I have links to that below. And I would just want to encourage more people to Google sustainability and start really learning about not only the major challenges that we're facing as humans, but also the incredible opportunities there are to create breakthroughs the way that Tania has. Um, and I think the, if, for anyone who hasn't already Googled sustainability and doesn't understand exactly the implications of what, Tania is saying that she has done in the world. I encourage anyone to go look look that up and, and understand more because this is an incredible woman who's a total badass and I'm lucky to call a friend. Aww. So I will have a link there below. Is there do, social media? Where can they follow you on social media?
1: Yeah, we, have a, we haven't been updating recently because there's been a number of things going on with the facility coming online, but um, we do have LinkedIn, we have Instagram, Facebook, you name it.
0: You're a rising star. I want more people to follow you personally, not just your business. Where can people follow you personally on Instagram? Sure. So it's, it's super spiritual heavy, but it's
1: via Renewable, V-I-A-R-E-N-U-B-L-E on Instagram
0: is the handle. I will have a link to that as well, to your personal Instagram and to the company's Instagram and to all your different websites below that anyone can find. Thank you so much for just showing up here and for telling your story and for letting me show you off. I'm so proud of you. This has been such a great conversation.
1: Thank you, Jordana. And I really appreciate the platform. I think you're providing a lot more healing than you give yourself credit to. um, And I hope more women continue to share it because there's so many of us that could use the daily messaging that you put out. So I really appreciate your efforts as well.
0: All right. I love you, girlfriend. We'll see you soon. Take care. And now I would love to hear from you. We talked about a whole lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are free resources for you that can help on womenwantingwomen.com, including... A guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com and when you claim your free access to any of those things you automatically become a Jordana Michelle insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think could benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.